Do you want to hear the greatest story? Yeah, I do. Oh my god, Bon Jovi sound checking. We got to see this. But then we hear um the guy whistling to a microphone. Yeah, it was John, and he goes, "The kids can stay." We're like, "Oh, cool." <laughs> nice. Thanks, thanks, Johnny. It was a small theatre, and we went upstairs, and there was a photo of Dire Straits, who mm. did their very first rock blast there in 1982, oh, wow. which was just so cool. Yeah. So these bikies got in touch with us, give us 500 bucks so you don't get your singer back. <laughs> Holy shit. Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. This is an interview style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers and sometimes wrestlers. I am your host, the Sizz Dog. Thanks for joining me. Man, I am hurting, Art of Touring listeners. I am hurting. I attended my first wrestling training session on Monday. It's now Thursday afternoon and uh, I'm only now beginning to feel normal again because uh, I bumped which for those of you who aren't wrestling fans means trying to fall on purpose onto your back uh, for over three hours in the ring on Monday uh, evening. And I had the time of my life, man. It was so much fun. I've interviewed a bunch of wrestlers on the show um, and actually got to be in the ring with a couple of them um, on Monday. But I loved every second of it, man. Uh, But the next day I experienced the worst doms, you know. Um, if you haven't been in the gym before, you're not down with the uh, the fitness lingo. Uh, DOMS means delayed onset muscle soreness. And man, I had some pretty insane DOMS. Still a little bit. I was sore in parts of my body I didn't even know I had. It was out of control, but I loved it. I loved it. It was totally worth it. So massive shout out to uh, those two previous guests of The Art of Touring, Jason the Crusher Cole and the Dreamtime Voodoo Witch, Erica Reed, for putting me through my paces on Monday night. I had an absolute blast. This week on the show, I caught up with Miles Wilson, drummer for Bad Dreams. Uh, I met Miles a few years ago on the plane. We just uh, happened to be sitting next to each other and we exchanged contact information. I reached out to him recently and I uh, was able to set up a time for him to come over and hang out and have a chat for The Art of Turing. So uh, keep on listening to hear Miles talk about his musical upbringing um, and how he was able to complete his thesis while on tour. A pretty massive feat. Um, and we also got into uh, some of his tales about touring Europe with Midnight Oil. So stick around for all of those stories. Art of Touring is brought to you every single Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> Sometime during the end of the week, you're going to get your your uh, your fix of Art of Touring. Uh, and you can listen to Art of Touring on iTunes or the Google Podcasts app on your Android device. And remember, Art of Touring is part of the Alotta Green Podcast Network. You can check out all the other awesome podcasts on their network at www.alottagreen.com. There is some coarse language in this week's episode, so if you are listening with kids, it might be a good idea to throw on uh, the moon and me, uh, and then once they're dropped off at their karate lessons, put Art of Turing back on. Now let's take a moment to hear from this week's sponsor. Episode 64 of The Art of Turing is brought to you this week by The Wiz. Do you own a furniture store in New York City and you need an elaborate character to help you move more stock? Then hire the Wiz! He's the Wiz and nobody beats him! Nobody beats the Wiz! His slashing prices on our entire stock! <laughs> nobody beats me because I'm the Wiz! Yes, I'm the Wiz! I'm the Wiz! <laughs> that is the guy! 
Elaine's in love with the whiz guy? No, she thinks she's in love with him, but she's just remembering this old commercial. So I told him, hit the road. I'm going back with Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, that's the second good piece of news I've gotten today. Really? What was the first? They're bringing me back. Yeah, I'm the whiz again. <laughs> I'm the whiz! I'm the whiz! What about your fact-checking job? Oh, here's the fact. Uh, I'm the whiz. <laughs> I'm the whiz and nobody beats me. Just so you know, Art of Touring is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on your desktop, you can just Google Art of Touring and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Before I get into my conversation with Miles, I'd like to play you some of his music. Uh, this is a track called Double Dreaming. Check it out. There we go. There's just a taste of double dreaming by bad dreams. Uh, now let's hear my conversation with Miles Wilson, drummer for Bad Dreams, and I will see you on the other side. See you on the other side, Rick. Nice working with you, Dr. Franklin. Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. We're sitting here in glorious Epping. It's a little bit chilly tonight, but um, we've got the $15 uh, Target heater on. And uh, <laughs> sitting across from me is drummer for Bad Dreams, Mr. Miles Wilson. How are you, Miles? I'm good. Good evening. Yeah. I'm liking the heater noise. It, it sounds like we're in a hovercraft. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah, it's, it's kind like, of a hum, isn't it? It's like white noise when you sleep. It's, it's, it's weirdly comforting. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, I know this for a fact because when my kids were babies, they, they, there was an app, the sleep app, which was basically just white noise. Yeah. And they would just go to sleep. Yeah. I would hold the phone up to their ear like so close, just yeah. shh, like that. And it works. Like it I've, works, got one of those, I've got one of those apps at home, like just yeah. rain on tin and stuff like yeah, that. Man. Yeah, Helps you sleep, like just drift off into a nice slumber. And I think it is because it emulates the womb. Is that right? Is yeah. that a thing? Yeah, because it's so noisy in there. Do you know what's weird? When I, when, I, when I was, um, I totally believe that because when I was younger, um, I used to I used to sleep by rocking my head side to side. Right. Um, I, I I never understood why. Apparently, it's something to do with something to do with the womb or something to do with like um, very very early childhood travel or ah. in cars or something. But yeah, I would go side to side. Like every night to go to sleep until I was like nine or ten. Yeah, right. And it was so weird when I would like go and stay at people's houses. And you're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, nothing. It's just how I get to sleep. Sometimes yeah. I would sing the Star Wars theme song whilst I was rolling side to side, my head side to side. Wow. I actually looked it up on Reddit like a year ago. Yeah. Because I was like, that's really odd. It turns out it's not that strange. Right. People do that. 
Yeah. And so, like, and like, my brother still teases me about it, like, because we called it rolling. So it's like, yeah. you know, do you get much rolling done last night or whatever? <laughs> so I'd be like, ah, ah, nah, 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 ah, and all this kind of stuff when yeah. I was going to sleep. It's so strange. And then, like, and then as I got older, it just, it just dissipated, which is disappointing. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I could I, I could have been I could have had you know housemates just thinking I was completely <laughs> completely and utterly insane. Yeah, Miles doesn't snore, but he does this weird thing where he, he rolls his head back and forth and sings Star Wars in his sleep. <laughs> Star Wars in his sleep. How, Wait, how like ridiculous the main does that sound? No, no, like Luke's thing. That's one hundred percent true. Oh, it's so weird to think. Wow. Yeah. Well, actually, I I could never sleep on my back. I always slept on my stomach. Yeah, and I I actually changed my sleeping habits about a year and a half ago because I started going to the gym for the first time in my life. Yeah, and when you're working out, you really need to have strong back muscles yeah. to be able to lift yeah. the weights, right? And um, I was like, well, I have to I have to force myself to sleep on my on my back. Was that upsetting your sleep a bit? Quite a bit. It was, yeah, because yeah. I would I would I wouldn't be able to work out in the morning because it would take me an hour or two to actually arch my back properly. Yeah, because I was sleeping on my stomach and and my back was like had this big curve to it. Yeah. So um. So now the, those lower back muscles uh, weren't weren't um were strangely developed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so now I uh, sleep on my back and uh, I can actually and I think a lot of it is because I'm a dad and as a dad yeah. you just fall asleep anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, are you pretty knackered all the time? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed the kids are full of beans. So yeah, yeah. Full just of cutting beans. laps. That's it. Well, um, we'll we'll re we'll re kind of jig it a little bit, and we'll start from the beginning, uh, Miles. We'll we'll just ask you um, the question that I ask all my guests, um, whether I've you know uh, have uh, met them many times or only once before, and that is where you're from and, and where did you grow up? Yeah, cool. Um, well, I was born in Carlton, so we'll start from the very start there. Yeah. This is like when I just started rolling, like <laughs> severely. At this point, it's at a hundred percent. Yes. Um, and the singing comes in like age three and four, and then that passes, um, you know, by eight or nine, yeah. if we're going by rolling terms. Sure, yeah. Um, and uh, I lived in, well, I actually lived in, in all over the place because m- mum and dad are both teachers. Dad, ah. um, you know, mum's a music teacher, you know, um, classroom music teacher. Dad's a was kind of like a director of music at, at a number of schools. So um, Yeah, right. Um, and like mum's originally from kind of Geelong, Ballarat area and dad's uh, from Essendon. Right. So um, I was born in Carlton. Um, they were living in Flemington at the time. We moved out to Werribee. Uh, you know, dad, dad built a house out there yep. when he was teaching at this place called Westbourne Grammar. And um, so I went there for a couple of years, um, did a bit of schooling in Sussex when he did an exchange. They used to do teacher exchanges all the time, which is really cool. Yeah, I've so always did, wanted to do that. Yeah. yeah. So I did a lot of travel um, from a very young age and I really liked living in Sussex we were he was at a place called Lansing College and um, it's kind of near Worthing by Sea in Brighton and stuff down the south coast of England sure um, did a did a bit of did a few months of school in Germany and uh, then moved when I was seven um, to Adelaide right when dad got a job at a college there as the director of music yeah and then me and my brother older brother James started started going to school there and then obviously with both our parents being music teachers we we picked up instruments uh i started with a violin mm. uh, my brother with the trumpet yeah and so from year three through to about year eight i played the violin yeah 
and um, it wasn't having the sway socially no. that I was hoping that the violin might. <laughs> I was like, guys, come on. Violin's yeah. cool, man. Yeah, come Mozart, on. Brahms, Haydn. Oh. Like, what, are you guys crazy? Yeah, this they is were the like, stuff. Oh, we kind of like prefer Nirvana or like Smash Mouth. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and, I ha- and actually, it's funny that uh, that just popped into my head because I... I ended up jumping ship and yeah. saying to mum and dad, I want to learn drums. I was always tapping pans around and that kind of thing, and I wasn't feeling the violin that that much. Sure, yeah. I didn't mind being the orchestra, and you know, I was in it. I was in a, in an orchestra, um, doing the kind of um, Pirates of the Caribbean themes and what have you. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of you know Hungarian folk dance, shadas and what have you. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't much chop, you know. I wasn't that good. And right, right. I was, I was all right. I got it done, but it was you know, what, it was nothing to write home about. Yeah. So I started playing drums when I was like fourteen. Okay. Um, and started playing in jazz bands at school, like very, very poorly, and um, then started doing like suspended cymbal and snare drum and timpani and things like that in the orchestra. Okay, so my old man as well. ran the orchestra at the school. Right. Um, all boys school. And um, yeah, so that was all right. And I was like, oh, I'd, I'd kind of prefer this. And then yeah. I, had a, I had a drum teacher called John McDermott and he was really cool. And I used to take in stuff that I wanted to learn. And like like I was saying before, it's really funny that I mentioned that because I actually went in with Nevermind one day and yeah. was just like, just want to know how to do this, you know, yeah. what Dave Grohl's doing here or whatever. He's like, yeah, no worries, I'll teach you. And um, yeah, he, he taught me smells like teen spirit. And then from there I was just like, yeah, this is, this is awesome. I really That's like this. I'm really glad I can play, play drums even at such a, such a poor level at that point. Right. I was still, still poor, but, um, yeah. And then by the time I was got to year 12, um, started a band called room one, room um, one. with a couple of guys from school. Yeah. Um, because we rehearsed in band room one. Of course, school, so yeah. they were numbered. Um, so <laughs> I didn't even yeah. have to ask what the your first band name was. Of creative band yeah. naming there, room um, one. Yep, we were five piece. Um, oh wow! Yeah, we were taking, you know, taking leaves out of the Libertines book, yeah, and right. um, I'm sorry to say earlier on, just stuff that was just it was kind of just Jack Johnson and Pete Murray. It was like real, real oh, bad sort of right. cringe acoustic rock, but. So you had an acoustic front man. Yeah, we had a we had a front man that was just a singer. Yes, a, a fantastic one actually, really big guy. Yes, and um, Room One's lead singer. It's really funny actually. It's a really funny story. The original <laughs> the original um, singer was a guy called Sam Clark who went on to be on Neighbours. Really, and now he's in L- LA. He's pursuing acting. I actually saw him in a Netflix show recently. That would have uh, blown your mind. Cool, fr- yeah, cool friends from college, and I was like, "That's Sam Clark." Oh my god! And he was playing a David Beckham lookalike that didn't look like David Beckham, and that was the, that was the idea. Right. So he was like a he was a lookalike for hire, and the irony was that he didn't look Actually like him at all. Actually, guy. he was really good. I was like, he's a really good actor now, and that, yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. I used to do like a couple of musicals with him back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, and I right. you know started this band called Room One, and um, our first gig actually was at the Austral. Um, in Adelaide um, yeah. on Rundle Street with our history teachers punk band who were called Fast Lake. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And we couldn't believe it. Like, yes. Our dream was just to play at like, you know, the Austral or Rocket Bar or Rhino Room. Like, we just couldn't believe it. So and you were in year nine at this point. You were nah, I was. I think we started, we started playing at um, people's birthdays and stuff, like year 10. Okay. And then this would have been like year 12. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep. Um, 
So I uh, did a couple of years kicking around the concert bands and, you know, playing some jazz numbers and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then we were like, no, nah, no, nah, we prefer that kind of Pete Murray vibe, actually. Sure, yeah. Dad. And um, <laughs> Dad. And, then, <laughs> and then that like, that kind of grew into a bit more of a kind of Britpop influence thing. And, you know, yeah. it, was, it, was that, it was that time when, um, you know, I don't know what bands were coming out. You know, the Libertines were kind of kicking around and yeah. baby shambles were coming out and dirty pretty things and um you know the the kooks and that kind of thing was coming out so we were okay. kind of yeah we had that kind of i don't know take on things from there and mm. you know and then with the klaxons and foals and then we started to get a bit more electronic and mathy and it's like kaiser chiefs as well is that kind of yeah same? kaiser chiefs were big at the time yeah yeah um it's like mid noughties isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, pretty much spot on. Yeah. It was kind of a weird, quite strange and awkward era there that only lasted a little bit. Yeah, because it was the same time as like Screamo and Emo and that. Had, like, yeah. Like My Chemical Romance and all those kind Yeah, of that's bands. right. And it's and kind of... had the other ones. And it was in the twilight of like the Smashing Pumpkins and like all those kind of bands that we, mm. we kind of listened to but missed the... You know when they the were the height of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then yeah. this weird phase came in where they were trying to do something different, and it didn't last very long, and it didn't go very well. But no, we got caught up in that. And we played a bunch of songs, and anyway, um, eventually the 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 initial lead singer who went on to pursue acting and being neighbours, he only lasted a couple of months, and we got a guy called Nick Marway, and uh, he was like big, tall guy, like great booming voice, like excellent front man, used to cover a lot of ground at the front of the stage. Sure, and. Um, yeah, we we were we were five piece, and that that then became a band called the Shiny Brights, and we existed for I don't know maybe six or seven years, and we had a we had a, a our first EP. We got picked up to play at the Big Day Out. We won a, the Triple J competition. Wow! We had a good run um, of like winning band comps at universities and all that kind of stuff. And sure, we, we were like twenty. We didn't we didn't know what we were doing, and yep, yep. you know we we were just kicking around in leather jackets, thinking that. You know, oh, this this is how it goes, and yeah. soon we'll be famous. So you know, you know, get on the wagon now, type thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, and we had this EP, and like got 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 a bit of play on the radio, like very, very little bit, and we won a couple of competitions. And, yeah. Um, and then after that, we released another EP, which which didn't go very well, and we realised we actually didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. Um, right. But we we were very persistent with touring, like. Right. around the place and um so you started touring like pretty heavily as soon as you're in your 20s and yeah in this yeah band. pretty yeah. heavily yeah like yeah. so 2007 and 8 we were we were going around a lot we won um a couple of things and played some showcases overseas and we went and played um in new york at cmj music marathon okay. which was like an amazing experience but yeah. we went over for two weeks and played one show at this place called le poisson rouge um with this with this band what were they called they were really good friends with uh, TV on the radio, but TV on the radio hadn't really eventuated yet. Oh, right. They, 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 were, they were getting a bit of a groundswell. Um, they were called Apollo Heights. Right. Anyway, so it's very strange. And yeah. then we went over and we played The Great Escape in England because we played the Fuse Festival. I've heard of that one. And we got yep. picked out of that. And, yep, yep. Um, so we had a good run there where, mm. um, you know, we thought, oh, this is this is happening for us. Like, yeah, you get so some... my being in bands, and I was just working in a bottle shop and a bar, and I I was studying architecture at the time, and um, it was a very strange time, really. And um, that went on for a while, and we continued to tour around and met a lot of really cool bands and bands that are really big now. Yeah, yeah. And um, or people that were in other bands at the time that are now in really big bands. It's yeah, really strange, like yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah, I remember playing with like Villains of Wilhelm. So Danny from Villains of Wilhelm now sings Dune Rats and you know, they've seen a lot of success recently and Oh uh, yeah, I've heard of Dune Rats. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And like I I don't really have my finger on the pulse as far as like new bands go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've heard of those guys, and those yeah. guys have been around for a few years. Yeah, they have. Yeah, long time. But, um, but they've had some success over the last yeah, couple of years. That kind of surfy kind of thing. I know it's a little bit Blink One Eight Two or something, but yeah, they're like so. It's really strange seeing how everything works out, and they're probably mm. thinking the same thing, you know, about about certainly me and James because yeah, this band that we were in, you know, eventually we were playing in. You know, we started Bad Dreams as well. So, yeah. um, so was your brother in that original band as well? Uh, he actually played horns. Him and his mate Girish actually played horns on a couple of songs live okay. and on a couple of recordings. But they were just they weren't in the band as such. So okay. Evidently, uh, my brother was in another band called Twenty Century Graduates, who yep. were really cool. They were kind of like the Cure meets of Monsters as a Men sort of thing. Um, they used to get really cool crowds at. Adelaide venues and it was yeah. like really infectious kind of happy music and the drummer sang his name was Jeremy Lake he was a really talented guy a really nice guy yeah and um, so yeah and then he, he was kind of um, more following the jazz route okay yeah cool he was much more accomplished at his instrument than I was so um, <laughs> and he'd stuck with it you know yeah, from the get go yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. he was really good and um, so yeah and then um, about 2011 uh, 2012 um I was playing footy um, for a club, a metropolitan club called Spock, in, in um, which is an old collegiate club in Adelaide. And, yes. Um, so I was playing with James, who was um, the guitarist and uh, chief songwriter in the Shiny Brights. So he'd penned a couple of tunes that we'd had played on the radio, and yeah. he was a you know accomplished musician. And um, we were playing footy together and we were playing with a guy called young guy called Ben Marway. Mm. Um, we were in a lower division than he was. He was a much better footballer, but um, <laughs> we knew him because, ironically, the singer in The Shiny Brights uh, was his older brother. Right. So I played in two bands, both fronted by Marways. <laughs> the first one was Nick, the second one was Ben. Yeah, right. Um, so um, we started playing footy and then... Um, you know, we'd go back to the club for presentations after footy matches and whatever. And yeah. um, we would, you know, have beers there all night in this place called The Barn. And it was a, it was a, a strange time in, in hindsight. But, you know, mm. it was that, that, that point where you left school, but you're still playing sport. I don't know if, you know, some people were into that. Some people aren't. I'd sure. I've played a lot of um, uh, cricket and uh, football club covers gigs over the years yeah and i'm always very um aware that i'm not part of that community yeah because i'm i'm not a sports person yeah any stretch but i can see the the um the value in it yeah because the guys and the girls at those sporting places are just genuinely having so much fun together yeah playing the sport and then that evening having a drink having a yarn yeah you know just hanging out together yeah um and feeling that connection with their community and that's that's their go-to yeah you know especially like i used to do this gig down in spotswood for the spotswood footy club and my mate um down there he would get me the gig every now and then and every time i would see him whatever was happening in his life I knew he was going through some stuff. Yeah. But whatever was happening in his life, I, he knew and I knew whenever he was there, it was a safe space for him. Yeah, yeah. And his mates would always have his back and they would always yeah. you know, welcome him in there. And I was just like, wow, that is such a cool thing. Yeah. You I know? think it is a really... I think people... Um, 
really appreciate the the you know kind of club sport thing as an outlet like yeah. whether it's socially or semi-professional or whatever exactly um and it is a safe place it's a really good place to make friends like mm. i know a lot of friends of mine who moved over from adelaide like befriended a lot of people from the footy club and that made them feel a lot better about being in a, a state where they don't know anyone you yeah, know so right. i think that they really have their benefits and a lot of them are very community minded yeah. they raise money for the for the community or the yeah the council, the area, the RSL, whatever, you know. Yeah. Well, pet was, rescue, all that stuff. All that stuff. Yeah. I, I was doing one just about a month ago up in Mernda. And um, the bloke who'd booked me, he said, I'm, you know, we're, we're playing, we play today, you know. And we've got the other footy club here, but you know, not all of them have stayed around. And they're, they're kind of meant to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because if it's an away game and we're going to their club, you know, we, yeah. we, you're meant to stay and buy a pie and buy a Yeah, drink I like that they endorse that. To keep, yeah. you know, the coffers full whenever they're not at their own club. Of course, yeah. Because if you don't do it for them, then why would they do it for you? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, so not everyone stayed tonight. So, yeah. sorry, it's only just us. I'm like, dude, I, I'm, I'll rock whoever, whoever yeah. comes, man. I don't mind. <laughs> I'm, but, a, I'm a rock out anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I was like, yeah, it was interesting to see, like, how that kind of world works, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a strange world. Mm. Um, but one I quite liked for a couple of years. And yeah, I don't know. It kind of fits into different different stages in your life, I think. Yeah. And um, so, um, so you form a band. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. At that point, um, like a guy called Alex Cameron had moved back from Melbourne, where uh, to coach the, the the B grade at this particular club, and he was a he was a quite an accomplished footballer when he was younger, and he had. Um, I guess just wrapped up his tenure in a band called the Dardanelles who I was a massive fan of mm. um, they released an album called Mirror Mirror I think it was in 2007 and they'd done a lot of touring and they'd played you know you know with Cut Copy and Ratatat and you know Pyramid Rock and they'd done all this cool stuff and I guess as a as a you know recently graduated young person pursuing music it was um, you know he was he was kind of somewhat of a person that we used to look up to because he was a bit older than us at school and he'd, sure. he'd, he'd had this really accomplished band so yeah. he'd come back to Adelaide and we'd grill him about music and what he likes and you know he was saying at the time that he didn't want to get you know into a band because he'd, he'd had a kind of a a salty taste in his mouth from the, the previous band which had terminated suddenly and then you know a few people hadn't seen Ardwire or whatever and yeah. he'd had to give up his dream on this band that he thought was going to do really well and you know we were kind of you know, in a similar position where we were like, we're not sure what the band's doing, the Shiny Brights and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's like, we should play some music together and it's like, always been a massive fan of you. I know, you know, you've written all these great songs that I listen to a lot, so I know you're really talented and capable. Yeah. Um, and he was like, oh, yeah, maybe all this kind of stuff. And eventually this kind of would happen every weekend. We'd end <laughs> up just drinking Coos Pale Ale and West End, you know, and talking about music and stuff and what was happening in Adelaide and what was happening, you know, in Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane and Yeah. Eventually we caught up for a jam and we were like, let's not let's not put any pressure on ourselves here. Let's just have a bit of fun. Yeah. And we used to rehearse in this White Goods warehouse um, where this guy called David Sharp, who was the dad of a guy that we went to high school with, used to let us have free use of his his White Goods warehouse. <laughs> okay. Which which was actually right um across the the river from like you could see the brewery um the west end brewery from the door right so um it was this really weird industrial area yeah and it had like this crazy like sound because you're in this enormous warehouse full of white goods like huge like you could it was so big this this warehouse so yeah. like had this really 
big kind of weird stadium like industrial sound when you would play the drums in there and stuff like that it was really cool yeah and the, and the shiny brights used to rehearse there a lot and um we'd started to kind of i guess the shiny rights had started to slow down a bit um we weren't sure about where we were going with the music like wasn't really picking up wasn't getting radio play we were we were um we weren't playing as much um one of the members moved to Melbourne and it was it was kind of getting really difficult and yeah. um, people just getting older and they got jobs and their jobs are a bit more important and all this kind of stuff. All that stuff. We're not, in, we're not all kind of students anymore at this point. Yeah. Um, which is ironic because at the same time, Bad Dream starts, we were originally called Youngin <laughs> for one gig and Nick, who was the singer in the Shiny Brights, had this really successful 90s music club night called Scrunchy in Adelaide. And it used right. to pack out at Rocket Bar. They would get a thousand people and just as many people in the line. It was huge. They had a good few years there where it was just massive and they used to play at the fringe and all this kind of stuff. And they would just play like, you know, like TLC, no scrubs and like soap and <laughs> these, re- these really corny 90s tunes. But yeah. people just went nuts because it just, right. I guess it just reminded them of, I don't know, just it was like real nostalgic yeah. music or like Eagle Eye Cherry, just stuff that was like real cringe. But. I guess when you've had a few beers, you're just like fist pumping and belting yeah. out all the words where you're arm in arm with your friends or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, yeah, we started rehearsing in the warehouse. We, the first song we wrote was called Creep Out and we got um, our mate, I think it was uh, Chad Halford, to come down and help us record it. And yes. We were like, oh, after a few rehearsals, we were like, we um, have really kind of, I don't know, we all the sound we're making felt unique to us, the stuff we'd done previously. Sure. And it was came very naturally. Yes. Um, no one was turning to the singer or the bass player or the guitarist and be like, maybe you could do this, maybe you could do that. They were just doing their own thing and it sounded it sounded all right. Like it right. didn't it didn't it was it was really weird and fluid and it didn't didn't seem to take any effort initially. Ah. Um and we just kinda had this sound and it was a bit rough and Ben had a kind of raspy voice that was quite quite Australian and um, he was real shy at this point. He had lacked a lot of confidence on stage, but that came to him really quickly because he'd done a lot of you know acting and drama plays and stuff like that. So he was familiar with being looked at, yes, you know, and, and whilst performing, but also he wasn't used to, I guess, exhibiting his voice and having people critique it or say whatever they will say. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and this club night um, that Nick had this band pulled out last minute and he was like, look, I know you've been rehearsing with Benny. Come on, Bart's like, is there any way you could, you know, get, get something together for, for scrunchy? And we was right. like, Oh mate, we don't, we don't, we don't, well, I think we've got one song, you know, like, yeah, yeah. He was like, could you get six songs together? It's like, probably not. And then anyway, we decided to, to do it. We yes. actually played, <laughs> we actually played six songs and four covers. We played the passenger by Iggy pop. Uh, we opened with this song called Terrible Lizard by Children Collide. Huh. Uh, we played a Joy Division cover and we played we played another one as well. Like It was just bananas and then two originals. Yeah. Um, but because this club night was so popular, um, we the room was full yeah. for our first ever gig. We had yeah. no idea what we were doing. They were all covers pretty much. and um, They didn't realise, because they were so obscure, they didn't realise they yeah, were covers. Yeah, a couple of them they didn't realise they were covers, especially the opener. And then we were kind of really well received and we there's like yeah. people were like that was really good and it was like was it because we thought it was pretty rusty and they were like yeah. no it was it was good like people were up and about and it's like oh okay and well maybe we play another gig and then we play yeah. another gig and then you know i guess like a couple of months went by and all of a sudden we were getting emails like do you want to open at this venue for this band it's like 
oh yeah, like we, we weren't feeling any pressure at this point, and yeah, you know, and it was coming fairly fluently, and and um, we'd all played in bands before, so like, yeah, all right, and then it just really like escalated really fast, I guess. Like mm. we started started recording um, just at different studios around and playing all different venues, and we were very like very much yes men for a while. We were just happy to open for anyone because we were just in that kind of blissful zone where you're like, you like what you're doing, you're not feeling any pressure, and everyone's yeah. getting on really well. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like, oh, well, this is, you know, you know, all, you know, we were. I remember we were opening for Cut Off Your Hands from New Zealand. Okay, um, and it was like our eighth gig, and I was, you know, that was that was something that seemed to take the shiny brights a couple of years, and yeah, right. um, we just kind of it just kind of clicked, and then. Um, I guess we knew enough people around Adelaide at that point as well. Yeah. Um, to put us forward for gigs and we were happy to go and play um, you know, competitions and try and get, you know, this support or get on spin off festival, this kind of stuff. Sure, yeah. A couple of those things came through which which went really well. Yeah. I feel like I'm waffling on in ter- terrible detail, but No, I'll no, keep it's good. Going. I'll keep going. No, it's good. Um, man. um yeah. so and so you've you're cutting your teeth on the scene in Adelaide, um, yeah, and you're getting support spots, support spots here and there, yeah. Um, you're finding your your footing within the band, yeah. Um, it's coming easy to you. Um, gigs are getting thrown at you, and the music is kind of like you know really kind of coming easy to you as well, yeah. And it's just all kind of coming together at the one time where you're like, well, shit, let's. Well, let's, we're off to the races. Yeah, exactly. Let's do yeah. something with it. It was really strange. And it's yeah. like, okay. And then we was just humming. And then it, it was really weird because, you know, the Shiny Brights who we'd released two EPs with, we were looking at doing an album and they'd been together six or seven years. We're starting to get a little bit, um, a little bit, maybe a little bit jelly. You know what I mean? They're like, right, oh, what's yeah. going on here? Like, you're playing with cut off your hands, are you? And yeah. then we had the wave support um, because... Um, so the Shiner Brights were still a band. Yeah, so so we were... Um, oh, it never ended. At this point, me and James were... There were a couple of times we would go and play... Um, I remember once we played at Format um, with Bad Dreams, which was kind of a makeshift DIY venue that was like in the city. Yes. Packed all our gear up, walked down the street to K's to Rocket Bar and then played with the Shiny Brights at Rocket Bar. Right. And so on and so forth or at Ed Castle. There were a couple of times we just had to double up because we'd obviously said to the Shiny Brights, we started this other band, but um, we're, you know, so, so you guys, were we the priority if they clash at the same time? Yes. But are you guys like, do we have your blessing to play in this band? They said, yeah, of course. And then, you know, as long as we can still do our thing and then... yeah. For a couple of years, we did both. Yes. Um, which was, like, fairly intense. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> I was working full-time as well. And Yeah, what, um, what do you do during the day? I'm a graphic designer. Right. Um, kind of doing a role at the moment. It's kind of like graphic design and art direction for a, a company called Catapult Sports. Okay. So um, they do, like, data tracking for kind of elite sports teams. And we put little devices in your garments in the players' garments under their top or sewn into their garments that, that track their data and, huh. um, you know, maximum speed and player load and heart rate and stuff like that. And we do it for, like, AFL league-wide and NFL and NBA. And so all the, all so the, you do all the graphic design for that company? Yeah, do the graphic design for the company. Oh, right. So we're, you know, for example, today, like, releasing a new device and I'm doing the user guide for it. So Jeez. I do a lot of their digital assets for the website and social media and all that kind of stuff. Because you so said you, you studied architecture at university. I, I did, yeah. I studied yeah. Bachelor of Design Studies, majoring in architecture at Adelaide Uni. Yeah. I finished in 2009, didn't like it. 
um, but did like the the third year electives, which are like digital media and Photoshop and stuff like that. And ah. I was like, oh, I'm kind of better at this, I think. And then, yes. uh, you know, I was always into art and drawing and used to do a lot of, you know, did art in year 12 and yeah. was really interested in that kind of stuff and painting. And um, so I... Um, yeah, I I ended up I ended up getting a job as a graphic designer, despite not having a design degree in that yeah. regard. Yeah, right. But I could evidence having made a couple of flash websites and doing a bit of Photoshop work. Yeah, got a job for a company called I was Training International, who used to like manage Ausaid, um, and like AAD do AAD programs like Australian Youth Ambassadors for Development. So like people that want to go over and work in third world countries in their field. So you might send a graduate engineer to Thailand to build irrigation for villages in rural Thailand. Wow. Yeah, the Aussie do really cool stuff like that. And, yeah. Um, so I started working for them and just doing their, their in-house design. And yeah. I was just a contractor and that turned into a full-time role. And it was really cool. And I was like, yeah, I really love this. This is what I want to be doing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually went and then like, so I was there for two years and then um, both bands are going at this point. And then I went back to do my master's because uh, Bad Dream started to get really busy. Shiny Brights was still playing a lot of gigs. And I got into my, my master's I wanted to get into at Uni SA, like a visual arts and... Uh, um, what was it? I think it's the kind of visual comms masters. Okay. Visual art and design, I think it was called. But And you're and, able to juggle that while being in the two bands. Yeah, so I had to write a minor thesis whilst I did coursework, thesis by coursework as well. Yeah. Um, but it and was awesome because, like, fully autonomous. I love doing my masters. Best decision I ever made. Yeah. And I actually did it. Um, I actually did my masters on semiotic theory with regards to 1990s LP vinyl artwork. Huh. Um So I used five examples. What were the um, five examples? Um, I used uh, I used Nevermind. Yes. I used a Pixies record. Um, which one was it? Oh, Vaughn Oliver did it. He's an artist I was into. Um, Pearl Jam's 10. <laughs> uh, no, it was... Um, no. Uh, it's, yeah, there was a, a Paul Kelly record. Oh, Paul Kelly. Um, yeah. There was um, oh, the other two. Jeez, that's really jogging. Su- super unknown Soundgarden. Uh, I did it. I did a d- dinosaur junior. <laughs> dinosaur junior. Uh, yeah. yeah, far, yeah. Uh, far, um, which one was it? Farm. Yeah, right. Can't remember, but the fifth one's really escaping me. Because um, I studied music, and you did. It was kind of like Bert Bacharach. Oh, Bert Bacharach. Yeah, it was, was the fifth one. Yeah, the nineties. No, so that was the. Um, the thesis was on nineties album artwork, and then I had to use examples from different eras to see how they. Uh, stacked up with their cultural references and semiotics and syntax oh. within the within the artwork. Yeah, right. Because um, studying it, music, you don't really get to choose a thesis. It's more just kind of like the pedagogy of. Well, I mean, yeah, I was doing my teaching degree. Yeah, it was m- more about the pedagogy of music teaching and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. My um, uh, old man um, did his masters in music. Um, well, this will be very po- very poorly worded, but how how. Um, studying jazz music can uh, aid the learning mind uh, yeah, right. in other areas as well and improve, yes. improve the retention and that kind of stuff. So yes. um, kind of interesting interesting master's thesis there yeah. in which t- turned into him being the kind of, you know, director of music at different schools and stuff. Yeah. So a very firm believer in the benefits of it. Yeah, if only we could kind of tell that to all of the, um, you know, the people <laughs> with the purse strings and all of the... Yeah. 
educational systems. Or the people distributing all the budget to the sports mm-hmm. wing. All that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, a worldwide practical joke. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, everyone in the entire world can't go through the day without chilling out to music at some point, whether yeah. it's on the telly or in their headphones or on their commute to work. But as an educational sector, yeah. we're putting all of, our informa- all of our resources into everything else. Yeah. But the one thing that everybody actually needs to get through the day. Yeah, I know. It's fucking I'm weird. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Preaching yeah. to the converted. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Um, and so you're on the road and you're doing all these tunes and everything and you're, yeah. you're studying your thesis and someone turns, you know, where's Miles? Is he like partying with a bunch of ladies in the back of the tour van? No, he's writing his thesis. He's actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not. He's, he's a nothing, real party animal. He's nothing down in his share house in Paynham. Um, yeah, just eating My noodles God. and stuff. At one, I remember I used to have the grimmest meals when I was studying because I had no money. Yeah, one point, right. I had I had white rice with tomato sauce. No. Yeah, that was the rock bottom. That yeah. was rock bottom. Yeah. But I used to just be like a big fan of just like the penne pasta and just the jar of ragoletto that you just run through it. Uh, yeah, yeah, and that yeah. would get me a couple of meals. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> and I'd do like a few shifts at Dan Murphy's and stuff. Yeah, right. But I was working at this like, this like, <laughs> this like the, the worst, worst dive bar drive through bottle o called the Buckingham Arms Hotel in Adelaide. Yeah. Which I actually loved. I was there on and off for seven years, but yeah. um like knew all the locals and stuff it was really cool. So anyway, I'm doing that. Yeah. I'm playing in the two bands. Yeah. Shiny Rights is winding up and um the uh are winding down and then Bad Dreams is winding up, I guess. Sure. Well, yeah. is, is is getting a bit busier and that kind of thing. And then um what happened was we actually enlisted the services of Johnny Mackay from Children Collide. Um, who was an old friend of Alex's um, to help us record an EP with a guy. Initially, I think the the initial engineering was done by a guy called Jack Farley and then um, Johnny McKay kind of put his put his spin on it um, in this old recording studio above this music shop in Brunswick. Um, I can't remember what it was called. And um, from that came a song called Chills, um, which is um, a kind of like jangly... Um, I guess song about you know isolation and depression and I guess like failed relationships and stuff and living in Adelaide in the heat wave and that kind of thing sure yeah and um, that got played you know Dom Alessio picked that up when he was doing Home and Hosed and played it a few times and got a bit of spot rotation in the big leagues if you will nice and then that's, um, that's, that's the dream that's the dream that's <laughs> so the dream yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, pun the pun yeah and then um, from that spawned um the first EP which is called Badlands and um, we went to a guy called Woody Anderson um, who uh, produced and engineered that um, aside from the couple of songs that Johnny Mackay did and yep. um, <clears throat> yeah so um, a guy from Adelaide um, got in touch with us who had a little tiny you know bedroom record label called Mirador Records his yes. name is Ben Ferguson he's a lovely guy friends to this, till this day and always remember the faith he had in us at the start when he helped us out with you know, getting some things printed and vinyl made and getting the EB, EP digi packs out there and that kind yeah. of stuff. And also it looked kind of cool. It's like, oh, these guys are on this label. Yeah. Um, and he was just the loveliest guy and he loved us and he just wanted us to do so well. And like, 
and uh, so it was really nice when we finally got the EP finished and Hoping For got picked up on high rotation on Triple J which like absolutely blew our minds yeah I'd, I'd been in the band for seven years and, and never even got near rotation you know what I mean yeah it's um, like what was the secret sauce and I was How hearing it every day and like, it? yeah and I just email and phone was just blowing up it's like yeah hearing your band every day on the radio I'm like I know it's nuts it's weird it's bananas what are yeah. they doing why are they playing that like it just <sighs> seemed like we were just imposters you know right we were just doing like we'd fluked it or like it was really weird feeling and um did they ever say like oh well, this is why we started playing you like we like this aspect of the we, song we, or yeah, that aspect we, of we, the song we didn't really i mean at the time we had this kind of publicist that was um just freelance called vanessa basili and, and she'd done really well oh so you got the radio plugger yeah we got a radio plugger she had this thing called little old me and we'd played enough gigs that we were like i reckon we could pay her you know however much money and she can go and service it instead of us or benny who had mirador yeah. records going in and trying to have a crack and them just going i'm not sure who you are yes. whereas she had a relationship in other bands that just serviced in the past and she go. had a very small thing going on but it yeah. was it was quite successful and she was lovely i always always thought she was such a legend and sure at this point we're going over to melbourne a bit and we're trying to play you know you know the gasometer or you know we're playing it you know the tote and this kind of thing and, yeah um yeah so that got picked up and um yeah it was really weird just to watch things slingshot from there yeah you know, people just People want you to be on their on their show, on their showcase. They want you to be, you know, labels started coming, looking around. We started getting booked for a lot of showcases and stuff. Things escalated really quickly. Like, we were freaking out. Right, So right. I've never had these kind of people contacting us. You know, usually we're kind of like, you know... Um, gigs would come offers would come through in jibs and drabs or you would be hustling for them Puffs, whereas dude, this is yeah. now the tables have turned, turned. So, yeah. oh, it's just like and you're um, still it's still in house at this point you don't have a manager or anything like that no nah, at this point we were doing everything ourselves and then a guy came on board called Nick Liner and he was um, Brisbane based and um, he had this um, little company that he'd started up called Habitat yep. or Habit sorry and um, he was like a lovely guy and he, he came on board and he helped us out to start with and um he came on board around about the time the EP had, had come out and, okay. that, that, and that Hoping For had started getting spun and I think he had a bit to do with that as well and he was really good and um, mm. so he, he got us, I guess, you know, he kind of nurtured us through the EP phase where we were like, what, what are we doing? What, what are we, you know, we're freaking out. What should we do? Should we quit our jobs? I don't know what happens now and he was like, just everybody calm down, you know. <laughs> this is not, you know, just... You don't need to do anything and like, I'll oh, just take care of, you know, logistics and that kind of stuff. And right, right. He was really good. Yeah. Um, and so... Start touring? Start touring. Start touring like really heavily. We did the Children Collide tour. We opened for Children Collide um, for their monument tour. Yeah. Um, and that was crazy. Like, I remember just our friends were just like absolutely gobsmacked because they were like just gods to us at the time. Yeah. I'd seen them a couple of times and... You know, and just at the big day out and stuff, they just played in just monstrous crowds. I just, I just couldn't believe that they would even consider having us on the bill. Yeah. And so we opened for them on this like twenty-three date tour, like rural tour, like multiple dates in major cities, because uh, they'd been out of action since. Um, I can't remember what the second album was called. The first one's a little long now. The second one was called. Um, anyway, they, uh, they're an Aussie band. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, they were Melbourne-based. Yeah, I've um, definitely heard of them. And they had uh, Farewell Rocket Ship and Skeleton Dance and Chosen Armies and a bunch of like really big, really, really big songs on Triple J about oh, the okay. time we'd started or, or had been in 
I'd been in the Shiny Brights. Right, um, right. They were just huge at, at, at a couple of years there. That was just all I heard about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting in on the scene with them, it kind of gave you a bit of cred yeah, within I the guess industry, so. you know. Yeah. I guess the, the, the biggest thing we took away from it was like, was credibility like or or just exposure and credibility it was like oh these yeah you're paying children collide and we were just like yeah man i don't know like we're as baffled as you are like yeah um and we opened to them so obviously all the gigs we were you know the rooms are barely full but um look, look at the end of the day though miles what, what you've what you did was you be- all believed in yourself en- enough to put your money where your mouth was to actually get yourselves a radio plugger and then yeah. they were able to turn it around for you um, to, to, to actually make that investment become a reality. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a lot of bands are really scared of doing that. Yeah. They're not willing to, you know, you know, like they'll get the coin and they'll just release another independent thing. They won't actually pay someone to represent them. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, what's, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. It doesn't get played. I know. What's the best that could happen? Yeah. It gets played. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Espe- that's what happened to you guys, Absolutely, which is and like, fantastic. Especially when you have a little bit of a look around, it's like, oh, well, we're only going to team up with someone that really believes in the songs. And we yeah. found that she did genuinely because her feedback was detailed and she seems to be quite invested in the song. So we were like, yeah, oh, well, I yeah. want her to service it, then she gets it. Yeah. Um. And this was like a really, really exciting time where like, you know, when, we, with the Shiny Rides, we'd had a couple of really big supports. Like we'd played with the Wombats at the Gov and some, some other bands like that. And Sure. Um, but we never really, we just didn't really, uh, we I weren't, like we weren't, we only scratched the surface. We were never really under the skin of like, I guess, what was going on in the, in the city. We kind of just operated in our own little world. Yeah. Um, whereas with Bad Dreams, we started doing tours with like Mining Boom and Bored Nothing and all these really cool bands that just like blew my mind. I was like, they're so cool and unique. And, and I just was felt so, so naive to be so blind to all this stuff that was going on yeah, at these different venues that you didn't play. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is all going on. I'm so glad I'm, I've been exposed to this yeah, whereas I don't think I would have been if it, w- it wasn't in the band and yeah. so you're getting an, you're getting a new perspective of like how things work or where bands come from or how they start or what they're trying mm. to do and well I can, I can kind of empathize a little bit on, on a, a small level because um, going back to where we, when we actually met yeah on a plane yes we were both touring at the time yeah um, and I was playing in a band called Smokestack Rhino, who I'm, yeah. not, I'm not with anymore. Yeah. But at the time, that was my initial run of tours with a band. Yeah. And at this point, I'm 36, 37 years old. Yeah. You know, my, my kids are th- two, three years old. Yeah. I- I'd been playing in bands in Melbourne for 10 years. Yeah. Had never left my own town. Yeah. To play music. Yeah. Um, and I realized it was just... I'd, I wish I'd had figured that out 10 years earlier. Yeah. That if you want to play outside your own town, you just book a show. Yeah. Yeah, there's, maybe there's not going to be anyone there, yeah. but at least you've kind of got that experience yeah. and you know what to, not to do the next time. Yes. You know? Yes, that's um, right. And yeah, it is difficult. Like, it is... You just... You would never know so many things, you know, unless yeah. you've been through that, that, that kind of... That situation where you've had you know a band beforehand that has kind of been a guinea pig for all these things yeah exactly yeah um and, and it was so tell me a little bit about um the the touring days yeah, yeah yeah so this is like real grueling kind of touring we never booked accommodation we'd stay on people's floors um 
even when you're on the rotation, you still wouldn't yeah. bother booking, booking even a nah. fucking like a well a hostel or something. We used to stay above. They used to do a really good deal for musicians um, with a bunch of bunks above the workers' club. It was like you know eight bucks a night or something like, and it was pretty grim accommodation. And other people actually lived there. Yeah, right. Um, but. You know, it was better than nothing. And we didn't have a cent. You know, you're still driving interstate to gigs. Yeah. Um, or you're getting your flight and that's it. Like, we're, everything's, we're paying for ourselves just 100%. And yes. you lose thousands of dollars of your own money on the Children Collide Tour because you wanted to do it. And it was like rural shows. And you've got new, and you're getting paid 100 bucks a gig. So you're not. That is so strange. Yeah, yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. It's, you're it's you're a, playing with a really big band. They're yeah. slinging you like... A percent of the door. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> You're warming up the crowd for them. Yeah, yeah. And look, oh, you can you can sell your merch. Yeah. You have to cut all that around yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know. I know, and it's, it's like... It's so weird. I don't know, like, I was, maybe it was 150 bucks. And there was another band. Whatever it so was. we were opening. Yeah. The second band was probably, I don't know, 350 bucks. And then yeah. they just decided we can't pay, you know, whatever. You'll be doing it for the exposure, really... Sorry about that kind of thing. Yeah, and it was a rough. It was a rough tour. Like yeah. sleeping on the floors. There was a lot of red eyes where you didn't sleep. You just yeah. feel kind of crook the whole time. We were flying back to work because we were working full time. Then flying out again. Then flying back. Then flying out again. Just this like string of like speckled leave here and there to take like a Tuesday and a Wednesday to go and play in here or Annandale or yeah. you know Beto Bay or all these weird places where you got to get to and then going back to work for two days then doing it again the following week and this went on for four or five weeks yeah right um so your bosses aren't over the moon no um <laughs> but they're you know but you're getting it done and yeah you know and it's yeah i'll never forget those days because they were the hardest but they always always reflect upon them really fondly as being the best right like we just made so many cool friends and that we're still friends with and stayed on people's floors and like just had awesome insight into people's generosity as <laughs> and that people are really you know really nice and giving and stuff like that and yeah um you know some some of the people's floors we stayed on for two years like just like every time i see them i'm just like hey thanks so much like yeah right that must have sucked for you yeah you just got five guys like one of our friends olivia like every time we went to sydney we slept on the floor and I always think about how nice that is of her and how generous that is of her and yeah. she had housemates and they were really cool about it and yeah. you know like just those kinds of things or like we'd have to split up between different people's floors and like you know Darren uh-huh. Darren Cross he was like a friend of ours who used to be in girling and he would put people up at his and then three of us would go to Olivia's then one of us would go to another friend's and like Far out. just so we could save you know 90 bucks on accommodation at a hostel sure because um, that's how tight things were yeah and you know um you know, although we were working full time as well, like it was just so, you know, expensive to be in a band when you're not getting a gig fee that's you know, worth anything. So, yeah. Do you have the, any stories from from those days that we could get a chuckle out of? Um, <laughs> in the back of your mind, there's this one where, like, I mean, I'd be interested to hear Darren's take on it, but like, there was this one, there was this one time where. Um, <laughs> ben and Alex stayed in Darren's loft in Sydney. Yeah, and. To this day, Darren claims that during the night Ben slept, sleepwalked, and took a pee pee in the corner, <laughs> in the corner of the loft on the carpet, and he swears that he didn't. And like, oh my God. Camo reckons he didn't either. So it's kind of this weird thing where Darren's like, "Someone's pissed here." It's like, "Well, it must have been your cat." It's like, "I don't have a cat or whatever." Like, yeah. And it's just been this ongoing joke. 
It's like you pissed in my loft. Like that's so dog. And he's they're like nah. Like didn't happen. We just didn't. Like maybe it's a leak. And they're like you took a leak, mate. And then like <laughs> um, so that was just always been like a really funny thing. And like it took ages for kind of Darren to <laughs> to think. To finally think, it's like, oh, maybe they didn't piss in my loft. Because Ben's like, why would it do that? He's putting yeah. me up on his flight, you know, like. Yeah, that is a strange thing. That's how you sleepwalking? He's like, no, I don't, like, do that. Like, so weird. Um, yeah. So many, so many interesting stories, though. Like, um, used to have really fun nights. I remember with Fergus Miller, who was the singer aboard Nothing, who's since passed away. So, like, I always think mm. about how fun that is. Um, it's just like hanging out with him. He was a really funny guy. And, um, yeah, just staying, you know, like, or, you know, playing house parties. Like oh, really? in Sydney, like playing in people's tiny backyards. Yeah, right. Um, like Jordan Campbell, who's like a, a, we used to get booked by Harbour Agency like years ago. And um, Dan Sand used to book us with this guy called Jordan Campbell, who's like a big fan. And he used to put on this thing called Black Backyard Blitzkrieg. Right. And we'd just play like under the clothesline in this concrete, tiny concrete like in Surrey Hills or whatever, and he'd just sure. like ram 150 people in there just like hanging out of the kitchen window and stuff to see these bands play. And it was what? so, so rad. That's weird. Yeah. Like a property as small as mine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> smaller. Smaller. smaller like, this is in the middle of Sydney. Like <laughs> people just wedged into the driveway. Like, and it was just like, you don't like, it's just so rare you get a feeling like that anymore. It was crazy. Then the, the, the neighbours didn't mind, like, obviously, because they would come poke their head in over the fence at the front and, like, yeah. just wedge people in there. Like, people would just pass beers all the way down the line to wh- whoever's at the front. And, like, sure. you're, like, they're literally touching your, like, headstock. They're so close to you. And That like, must have made for some really yeah. great, like, video footage. Yeah, there's all- some really... Like, they crowd-surfed camo for a couple of solos, like, all around the yard and stuff. Yeah. Like, like, it was just like, and so like you can imagine that like, we've got this song on the radio, things have gone really fast. Yeah. And then we're playing these gigs and we're just like, oh my God, like being in bands like the best thing ever. Like, why would I do anything else with my life? Like, sure, yeah. Like absolute like chaotic time, like really chaotic time, but just like so like invigorating and like just making you feel so positive about music and being creative and like yeah. you're feeling so good about like being a creative person and having these skills that have like allowed you to get to this point even if you're thinking if it ended now I'd be happy like sure yeah, yeah, um, yeah so then that and that just I don't know we just had this groundswell like people liked I know the, the first EP and the lyrics and we always get a lot of people that comment about the lyrics and Alex who's primarily um, the lyric writer you know Ben writes a lot now but at the start the EP was very much Alex and there was like really good feedback on that and I don't know people just really connected with us yeah. we got really lucky like that I guess and yeah. um, we were trying to be as honest as possible and I guess that kind of translated and um, so we started writing the first album um, we went and played CMJ in New York yep. played a few gigs over in LA with some bands over there and some, some showcases over there for the Aussie barbecue that, you know, Glenn Dickey was running at the ta- time for Sound Australia. Um, played in New York a bunch of times with some really cool bands over there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, tried to tried to crack the market over there or go to label. Sure. Um, had a few meetings with labels over there. It didn't end up happening. And, oh, well, they kind of just like, we need to hear album sort of thing. So we went back, started working on our album. Yep. Wrote a few emails to Mark Opitz. Um, you know, who had done, you know, some work, you know, with just amazing bands like Chisel and Divinals and whatever. And, yeah, yeah. Um, sure enough, we got a response 
yeah. which surprised us. We sent a few songs and I guess like Alex wrote quite an elegant e- email just explaining what we wanted to do and where we took influences on and how he would really be able to lend himself to a young band that wanted to learn a lot and wanted to be better and wanted to like understand how to replicate those sounds. Yes. Um, and so like we were just like flabbergasted that he came on board and we started recording Dogs at Bay. Yeah. And we'd be working on that for a bit and um you know just just writing while we were playing and at rehearsal studios and those guys writing at home like really lucky to play drums in a band where you know different band members go home and work on parts and so when we catch up for a rehearsal they've got these really cool ideas that I'm you know I can just I can play along to or you know um try and offer my my very limited expertise where I can to do that or yeah. you know say like oh you know it reminds me of this you know whatever reminds me of this church song maybe we could do this or right, um, right. yeah yeah or like you know them just being like i kind of like it when they're like let's start from scratch just play a beat just say, play a beat that you like you know yeah so i really like this kind of you know beat they use in this joy division song and like i'll put this little tag on the end so it's different and like let's see what you come up with that and then not like, taking it from there like yeah. i really like that kind of process that's fun yeah it's really fun and um Especially when they're kind of a bit more accomplished now and we've been playing for a year or two at this point. Mm. Maybe even three. And um, so, yeah, we, we and then we recorded Dogs at Bay and um, that went well, I guess. That went a lot better than we thought it would we'd go and we enlisted, you know, some really cool people for the team there and um, at this point Ivy League had come come along and they, they wanted to sign us. And yep. We signed to Ivy League under the Mushroom umbrella. Sure. Um, care of a, a lovely man called Andy Kelly, who I guess um, he came. A couple of labels came came along. Um, wasn't bananas, but we had you know two or three come along and have some pretty serious conversations. But Andy was he was into his footy. He was into the same music as us. He was a lovely guy, and we we connected with him. and We wanted to sign with him, so we did. And yeah, two albums with the possibility of three type deal. Um. And so, yeah, we started working at Dogs at Bay and which was just, you know, again, like I'm still kind of pinching myself because I never had, had, you know, all I wanted was an album. You know, I just thought if that that could be on my wall when I'm older, I'd be so proud of it and yeah. I'd be able to say something to my kids or whatever. My 100%, wife like, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, we started doing that and it went really well and um, we released a bridging seven-inch seven, seven inch, um release which had my only friend and dumb ideas on it and uh dumb ideas got rotated so we were in a really good position where we're like finishing recording the album but we've got one on rotation already that we're done early okay yeah we'd gone in for a weekend earlier just to get a couple off the ground see how it went it went really well and so we were in a really good position then and then the the album came out and it did all right and you know kind of charts and what have you and we were getting some pretty good supports at this point and our own tours were starting, like people, you know, we were doing our own headline tours at tiny venues and people were starting to come. To show up, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we were, you know, playing these gigs like, <laughs> I remember Hockey Dad opened for us, um, who were just enormous now. Yeah, um, yeah. Open for us um, at this tiny tour at like New Newtown Social Club and all these kind of, all these kind of places and this this band that was on Spunk called Bear Hug who were really cool and we played these kind of like 150, 200 cap venues and they were like sold out and we were just yeah. like, whoa. That's crazy. That never happens. Like, no. you know, that was just just a ludicrous thought that just like, we've sold this headline tour out off our yeah. own name. Like, Yeah, and that was probably about the time we, we met, wasn't it? That was probably would have been. On. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, that would have been 2016, oh. I think. Yeah, it might have been about then, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
we kind of sold out a couple of hometown gigs at that stage, but we, we you know, we just didn't think that anyone would come into state. It's still, yeah. I still find it weird that people come into state, even though now I've moved to Melbourne. Yeah. Um, it's a bit more, more normal now that at the time you're yeah. playing in Sydney and it's full, you're like, what? what what are you? What are you doing here? Like, yeah. How do you know who we are? It's like, sure. I just heard you on the radio, or on the internet, or whatever. And come down. My mate got stuff. me into you. We're down with a bunch of mates. I'm like, you know, like, can I express my gratitude? Thank you. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because it's rare that I would even go and hear a new band that no one knows and that isn't established or big yet, and go, you know, and by myself them. with a friend. Yeah, like, yeah, man. You know, and like, so I've really started doing doing that a lot. You know, because mm. I understand how important that was for us and how that felt. Yeah. So now I go and see really small bands at really small venues, even if there's only 10 people in the room. It's like, yeah, yeah, I love doing that now. And oh, it's wild, man. Yeah. I, I remember I, I did a show at the, the Cherry, like it was like on a Wednesday night, hardly anybody there. I was just slogging it with my, my band, The Pass Outs. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Sick name. <laughs> thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, this dude, he was on his um, business trip from Sydney. And he, he's an older guy, but in, into his rock and roll. Yeah. He's like, oh, Cherry Bar, I've got to go down to the Cherry Bar. I've heard yeah. so much about it. And there's old mate Siriani playing the, with the pass outs. Yeah. And he's rocking out. He's like, oh, you guys are great. He bought the album off us and everything. Yeah. And then about two years later, we were playing, I think, on the Saturday night, you know, um, supporting some band or whatever. And then he came back. He's like, I saw you were playing. Yeah. On the Saturday. Yeah. So I, I engineered my business trip to be when you're playing. Yeah. So I could come back and see you. I know. I was like, Paul, yeah. you've blown my mind. How good are people? <laughs> yeah. Like, it was bizarre. Yeah. And here's me just, you know, living in Epping, writing tunes, not yeah. thinking I'm making Because I'm not on the radio. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just a little... It's such a nice thing, thing to do and, like... Yeah. Just makes, like, the tiniest little thing just makes it, like, so, yeah. so worthwhile. It's a very cool thing. Obviously, we're playing around so much when we weren't on the radio either, so... Yeah. It's like, oh, I saw you at, um, you know, I, I don't know, saw you at the Metro or, you know, in Adelaide, a little tiny pub in Adelaide where they used to have kind of these DIY gigs and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so I come to see you at, you know, Rocket Bar. It's just like, that's huge of you. Like, yeah. there's heaps of other shit you could be doing. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are heaps of bands as well. Like, yeah, there's so many. So, like, yeah. that's really, like, that's really nice of you or whatever. It's a very cool um, thing, man. Bef- Very cool. Before we, we wind up, I wanted to ask you about um, the the recent tour that you're on at the moment. Yeah. Because I did a little bit of... Um, I don't do a lot of research before the, the guest comes in because I do like it to be a bit of a surprise. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, I don't want to be a complete doofus. Yeah. Um, and I noticed that you were doing some shows uh, recently in the UK uh, supporting Midnight Oil. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? I know. Exactly. That's my thoughts, exactly. Insane. Um, yeah. What was it like playing at Brixton Academy? Oh, mate. Well... Yeah, insane. Like, I've watched bands that I just adore and aspire to yeah. to to be, like, for years on just YouTube and different DVDs that I've collected of, like, my favourite bands playing there. Yeah. So, you know, I was saying to one of the guys in the band, like, I knew what it looked like before I walked in. Yes. Because I've seen it so many times in footage and stuff and, like, gigs yeah. that I've watched online. And so walking in there and just – I spent a lot of time looking at the roof and stuff. Yeah. Just kind of looking around like dumbfounded. I was very quiet there because we were – you know, it's it just – it's a dwarfing venue. Is that right? Huge. Like, and when I was checking the drums, there was like this like three or four second delay huh. from, the, from, the, from the back wall above the top balcony. Yes. So it's like boom and then clap. 
And then they're like, you know, you just kind of have to ignore like the natural acoustics are like so amazing. And they've got this, this swirling like acoustics up the top that comes back into your fold back that they try and get rid of. Yeah, right. Like Jeff tried to get rid of who was our touring sound man over there. And um, yeah, it was just, I was just sitting there just thinking, I can't believe the people that have sat here. You know, you know, again, I just felt a bit stupid like it's just like oh <laughs> bad dreams are sitting here now like we're not worthy yeah, yeah. um and i was like i mean i was you know but you know i could turn around and look at rob hurst's just like enormous like 10 meter wide drum kit set up with a with a with a water tank he's got a water tank that he plays and just be like oh, okay yeah that's a that's a proper big band right there. That's so, a rig, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a that's a that's a rig. But um, it was so good. Like, yeah, I f- feel very lucky to have played there in Manchester, Manchester Apollo as well. And yes, you know, and you can see like even those venues and all the little ones like in Southampton and the Shackerwell Arms in London, all this kind of stuff. See all the bands that are written on the wall. You know, yeah. You know, some of those venues like you know the Beatles have played and Rolling Stones and just it's crazy. Like, um, you know, or, or you know, all the bands that you're into now, like really mm. into bands called Fontaine's DC. So I was like super chuffed to see that they'd written on the wall with the Shackerwell Arms, yeah, yeah. which, you know, is just this tiny venue in London. But it's just like a really awesome, humbling experience that I'm certainly very, very fortunate to, to be a part of. So I'll try not to take that for granted. That's a cool thing, man. Yeah. It's yeah. a very cool thing. Mm. Um, because, yeah, when, when you kind of from the outside looking in or the inside looking out, I don't know what that expression is <laughs> but you hope that when you're looking at bands that are, have got a small bit of success or a large bit of success or whatever that they do appreciate it you yeah. know and playing in these venues and stuff like I mean being a muso in Melbourne for however many years that I've been doing it friends you know becoming successful and bands that you've played with but getting really big and everything or yeah. your mates band or whatever um and then hearing the stories, you're like, yeah. You kind of feel like you're um, living through them vicariously a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's what it's like. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I, okay, yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. You know? yeah, that would be fun. You yeah. know? <laughs> it's like, it's really, and it's like, I hate that it's hard to explain. It's like, oh, yeah. it's hard to explain. Like, you know, not, not the way some enormous band or anything like that, but it's like, yeah, we play with them in our It's like, what's that like? It's like, um... I don't know, like really strange, like yeah. just feels really foreign and like yeah. um, that you kind of, I don't know. They're accommodating, they're nice, something. nice guys. Yeah, they're really, really nice. Yeah. Um, I made sure at the end that I went up, went upstairs and personally thanked, um, you know, the guys in the band and yeah. um, they were so nice. Like they come into our dressing room because I, I don't know, they just, they felt bad or something. They just wanted to you know and they would sit there for 15 20 minutes and just talk to us and they were really funny yeah. really really funny dudes oh they've seen it all um, man no like we just spoke about the funniest stuff and yeah um like peter garrett was like real funny witty guy yeah and he's and he's just like i don't know i think they kind of like relish the opportunity to like hang out and talk with younger guys that that are kind of they were they were that once you know what i mean yeah man they were they were in that position once supporting bands that they looked up to and that they'd been listening to you know a lot of their lives and Did they talked about that with you oh they just there they talked about like touring and touring in the 80s sure and, you know when they were you know touring head injuries and just playing small venues and surf clubs and you know that kind of stuff yeah and yeah they were like asking you know and it was they they, they were so 
like humble and not interested in their own success. They just wanted to know what we were doing and what's yeah. it like and like, yeah. how do you put music out and the internet and Facebook and you know because you know, they're not really not that sure what goes on there. Like, no, just yeah. like, oh, my daughter does this and. You know, talking to t- talking to Peter about it, my yeah. mate Peter, mate Peter, and um, <laughs> it's just like you know he has to revert to what his daughter does with regards to like you know Instagram and Facebook and stuff. Of course, so how's that, how's yeah, that work or whatever? You know? Yeah, yeah, they get no idea. Like Fucking someone hell. else does that stuff. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they um and uh, just talking about touring and like you know touring in those big buses and stuff. We had this like really funny. It was actually me. That's just like I think the guys probably hated it and cringed at it, but um. We were talking to Peter Garrett about touring in those big buses where you got bunks and stuff. And yes. We were like, are you familiar with hot bagging? Hot bagging? <laughs> hot bagging. What is that? Well, we'd heard earlier that week about, like, <laughs> someone mentioned this term hot bagging in this, um, in this documentary about where, like, you don't do a number two on the bus. Like, oh. it's, like, hugely frowned upon. You don't do that. So, you, you hot bag. Yeah. You hot bag where you, like, you put, like, a plastic bag over the toilet. Oh, my God. And you duke into that, and then ah, and then you tie it up, and what? then you throw it away, so that you don't. Yeah, you throw it where away? Well, well, you throw it in the bin, or you throw it out the window. If you're not if you're not environmentally conscious, you throw it out the window to get it out of there. <laughs> and someone's like, "Don't you dare leave not that duke in the in the bus," because apparently it just got problems with the it's kind of a primitive plumbing oh, system in the. And yeah. then all of that would emanate throughout yeah. the entire. It's bus. like a like a real staunch rule. They're like, "Don't you dare." So they're, like, so they're like, so they're so like, this is what you do. There's so the I've bag. Got to take a number two. It's like, dude, we've got to get to wipes. Chicago by six p.m. It's like, all right, I'm hot bagging. Who's got a plastic bag? Holy shit! Yeah, yeah, literally. That was and a then, real thing. Yeah, and then throw it out the window. And then we had this conversation with Peter Carrot. He's like, but where's the window? And we're like, I don't know. We just heard that he was like, there's no window in there. It's like, oh, I guess you put it in the bin, like. Oh, and then the guys are going, why are we talking about hot bagging, Miles? And I, like, yeah, sorry, mate. But, uh, <laughs> I think he loved it though, you know what I mean? Just, so you got the like, truth oh. out of him. He it. was like, I love this man. I love the man. Too. That's fantastic. No, nah, I don't know, but um yeah, it was really like, that's what I mean. Like that's that's how yeah. that's how mundane and day to day the um the chats the we're getting, you know, it's watch. this kind yeah. of stuff that we're just talking about in the tour van, you know. That's a cool thing. Um and he was yeah, he was lovely and you know, they um Rob Hurst, you know, stood side of stage and watched our set and came up and said you know, cool man I love that you know drum beat and that song and yeah. really like that song at the end what's it called it's like oh it's called Mob Rule and he's like yeah cool you know oh, Ramones Vibes and yeah, I don't know he was just like didn't need to do that you know what I mean no he, he didn't have to he do that he has stuff to do and he wants to get ready and he's playing in front of you know 5,000 people at Brixton Academy you know yeah. and he's just he's chosen to get there early and watch and then have a discussion about it afterwards. So I, I just thought that was huge of, of them. And yeah, man. Shows had a real chat to Bones and all that. And yeah, they're really nice guys. So we, we were just, we were hugely lucky. and Blown away. Yeah. Far out. Um, well, yeah, before we do wrap up, two things I, I wanted to kind of touch on. Um, number one, um, traditionally on the art of touring, we, we will have heard, um, it's kind of a back to the future kind of thing, we will have heard a piece of music. Yep. Um, from the artist that I'm interviewing. Um, yeah. and so is there a track out at the moment that you'd like me to play a little snippet of so people kind of get an idea of who they've been into, yeah. uh, you know, listening to the last little while? Yeah, well, maybe play Double Dreaming, which is the first single off the, off the third album. Okay, Double Dreaming. Yeah. We'll, we will have heard that. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah, while we're talking about the new album, um, yeah, where can people go to kind of follow your journey with Bad Dreams? You've yep. got all the social channels, I'm yep. assuming. Well, the upside of having a ridiculous band name is it's very easy for Google search engine optimization purposes. So, ah. spelt with two A's, Dreams. Um, if you you know if you Google Bad Dreams, otherwise it's just like comes up with insomnia, insomnia <laughs> links. And, yeah, 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 and how to how to sleep with like lavender and stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, you you can. Um, you can just you know, check us out on Facebook, Bad Dreams with two E's, yep. Instagram, Bad Dreams, two E's, one word, and you know Spotify, iTunes, all those usual platforms. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, it's getting a bit of love on, on Spotify at the moment, so um, we're pretty happy about that. And yeah. we actually found out today it got added to our rotation, so we're really happy about that. Holy shit. On Triple J. and Yeah. Um, got a spin on BBC Wales. BBC Wales? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Welsh, the Welsh fancy it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you got um, to hit up over there at some stage. Yeah, the playlist on the Spotify thing. Yep. And so, may I ask, have you figured out like, obviously the touring coin is going to be trumping the actual like streaming coin? You're yes. Doing because it's it's ridiculous. It's basically an advertisement yeah. for your live show. Yeah, that's right. Because you're not getting any money for no, those no, streaming. No, 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 definitely not. At no, all. No, I think it's like seven cents a month or something. <laughs> And it's fucking yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's really low, really, really low. Yeah, but you, but but you, it's essentially the new radio. Yeah, everyone's got Spotify. Yes, and if you're put on that playlist, yeah, everyone's heard your tune. Yeah, and is going to want to come to your show. Yeah, yeah. So we got put on a bunch of Spotify playlists and iTunes yeah. playlists, and then just played on like um, regular cause, radio cause as we, well. Yeah, we had to like we did a bit of a service over in the UK, so we went. And, had a ah. little, little bit of a PR thing where we took it to a few radio stations and explained who we are and what we're doing and that kind of stuff. Because there sure. there's a bit of a groundswell I noticed over there through the Australian bands. Right, right. Um, they're doing quite well over there. You know, obviously, Tame Impala and Pond and all that. But then, like, yeah. um, on a smaller scale, like, um, talking to a few people about Press Club and Tropical Fuckstorm and um, there's some bands doing really well over there. They were all asking us about, and it was ah. like, and they're like, oh, it's becoming a bit of a thing. Like, you know, Aussie Australian, bands. Yeah, 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 cool. Because we're like, geez, we came at the right time then. Thanks, Midnight Oil. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we hopefully get back there, you know, and the yeah. chats are going really well over there. Am on the Sniffers are going really well over there. And um, there's some, something going on. There's the chats is that I'm on Smoko. Yep. Yeah, yep. right. Um, so we played with them a couple of times, played with them at Boogie and, and some other gigs. And oh, the Boogie Festival? Yeah. Um, yeah, Boogie and Talarook. Yeah. Yeah, we played with them there. And where else did we play with them? I can't remember. A whole bunch of places. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but they're, they're, they're really cool guys. Yeah, oh, we played with them at um, like a bunch of characters. Stonecutters. Yeah, they're really funny, actually. Yeah. Um, and they're, yeah, yeah, big fans, uh, really funny guys. Um, so hopefully we get to play with them a bit more. Like they're doing really well over there. Like huge rooms over there in the US and the UK. So wow, and they're like real young guys, like yeah. nineteen, twenty. Yeah, for the Sunshine Coast guys. But yeah, I mean, and that obviously also would have been because of their um, their kind of viral yeah. internet presence. I want Leave so me alone. Yeah, and then yeah. pub feed after that. Is that that other one? Yeah. Oh, bus money is another one, or VB Anthem. There's some. There's some. Yeah. They've they've got some more. <laughs> yeah, they do. They're they're really funny. They make me crack up, and they're yeah, not like, yeah. you know, they're not they're not um they're not trying to reinvent the wheel. They're just they're just they're good. You know, they're good tunes that are really catchy with interesting lyrics that glorify Australiana, and yeah, I'm yeah. totally okay with it. And they've obviously yeah. got, you know, I you know listen to cool bands, you know, like, um, the Spits and stuff, and you know the Ramones and um, the, so I yeah I've got I love them like yeah. they're really cool like um 
yeah, working well with those. And artists. I know they're working on a new album with Mikey Young from you know, Eddie Currents of Pressuring Fame, so I'm excited to hear what they come up with. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Miles, it's been so cool getting to know you um, better and hearing all of your stories. <laughs> Thanks, Dave, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, hope it was, um, I hope it wasn't waffling on too much. No, no. I mean, like, you know, it's a conversation, brother. Yeah, yeah. And um, you, can edit out the, you can edit out the bad bits, keep the good bits, and it'll sound like really fast and witty. <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he was, he was witty, beast man. beast editing. Yeah. Like, geez, I think about things real fast and execute them as soon as he's finished his sentence. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. We'll, um, well, yeah, we can't wait to see what happens next with Bad Dreams, and we'll, um, we'll see you on the road. Cool, man. Much love. Thanks for having me. See you, Miles. See you. Ciao. And that's a wrap, Sizzlers, episode 64, all done. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, give the podcast a share on social media. Use the hashtag Art of Touring Podcast on Instagram and give us a follow at Art of Touring Podcast. If you are a first-time listener to the show, uh, I hope you come back each week and keep listening or even just go back into the archives and and have a listen to the other um, guests that I've had. There's been... 63 other guests so whatever tickles your fancy man there's been wrestlers there's been drummers guitarists um djs uh, i've had a horn player um episode 30 sam parry that's a that's a corker check out that one um any of them really will have some something for everyone so check out all those old ones and and come on back next week for a brand new episode um so please Join the Art of Touring family. I'd love for you to be a part of the regular listenership. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please email me directly at artoftouringpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you yourself would like to come on the show. If you are a touring musician or a performer or a wrestler, hit me up. Or just send me a message on Instagram at artoftouringpodcast. You can listen to Art of Touring on Wooshka and you can download it on iTunes and uh, on Google Play and also on Spotify. If you have enjoyed this episode, please take Take a moment to give the podcast a rating within a podcast app that you use on your smart de- device, your smartphone, and write a short review and stick around next week for another episode. Uh, they are released every week for free on a Wednesday or a Thursday, so uh, come on back next week and have a listen to Sis Dog again in your earbuds. Uh, now let's get into some plugs. The outro music for The Art of Touring is a song called uh, Start a Fire by The Pass Outs, which is available to stream on Spotify or download on iTunes. You can grab the whole debut album by The Pass Outs on all digital platforms. If you'd like to grab a physical copy on either CD or glorious coloured vinyl or regular coloured vinyl, go to thepassoutsband.bandcamp.com where you can get all of our merchandise, including T-shirts, stickers, posters and even skateboards. Uh, another plug is that I will be back at the Black Swan Tavern in Point Cook this Saturday, uh, July 13th, uh, playing those acoustic covers, man. So come on down from 7pm to hear old mate smash out some acoustic tunes. That's all from me this week. Before I do go, though, I have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelt W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, Miles Wilson. Uh, be sure to check out Miles's band, Bad Dreams, spelt with two E's. Uh, Uh, 
they have all the regular social channels, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, uh, all that stuff, um, or just chuck it on the Jays and you'll be sure to hear them there as well. That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of Art of Turing with the Sizz Dog. Oh, oh, oh! And remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by The Wiz, because he's The Wiz and nobody beats him. Oh, really? Paraphernalia over there, man. Yeah. We'll have to take a photo for him. Yeah. And he can um, he can flip out at I it. took one of the cabinet, but I'll get some close-ups. Yeah. Well, and we can open it up, too. Like, um, he's, he's like a massive Venkman fan. <laughs> he just loves he Bill Murray, a, Venkman, everything. He, he runs um, the number one Bill Murray fan account on Instagram. Called, no Bill, called Bill Murray Picks. The number one. Yeah. Oh my God. Then, yeah, he really does love Venkman and Bill Murray, doesn't he? And you know how. Did he go and see him when he came out last year? Um, I think he was away, which he was really fuming about. But yeah. um, he, uh, like, he wasn't sure if he was the number one <laughs> Instagram account for Bill Murray like fans on Instagram. So he posted that he was. Yes. And you know that golf brand that Bill Murray and his brother own? No. Bill Murray and his brother own this own this like brand of clothing for like golfing. Yes. It's kind of like tongue in cheek polos and stuff like that. Oh, okay. And they and they commented. He was like, "We're the number one Bill Murray, um, you know, Instagram page." And they commented saying, "Oh please, oh and please!" He was just like, oh my god, it's like their actual. <laughs> they are actually on the finger on the pulse yeah, of yeah. people and, that have um, got these accounts. So he's had a look around the internet, and apparently he, they're number one. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Now, I, uh, I was over at my mate's place about, yeah, about six, 12 months ago, and he's a, um, a soundy and a lighting guy, and he does a whole bunch of, you know, different gigs for different people. And I was like, oh, who you got coming up? Who you got to, you know, do your gig for soon? And he's like, Bill Murray? And I'm like, <laughs> Bill Murray? He's like, yeah. He was completely, like, non that he was getting to do lights and sound for oh Bill Murray. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Yeah. Bill fucking Murray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's so huge. He's like, I can get you tickets if you want. Like, whatever. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you go? Yeah, we went. Yeah, right. Yeah. What, what was it? What kind of... It was bizarre. It was literally, he came out and did a monologue of, and he would read, he was reading from a, like a old war book or something. And then he's like, I guess, I guess you didn't realise this was going to be what you're in for, hey? And like, everyone just broke the ice with everybody. Yeah. Everyone like, oh, okay, well, and so, okay, he's telling jokes. Okay, it's not going to be that bad. And so then, yeah, he had like a a, ch- a cellist and a violin player, yeah. and they would play while he was doing like monologues, and then he'd do a little bit of comedy, but a lot of it was just kind of monologue. Oh, and then he would sing show tunes as well. Right. So right. it was a, kind of a variety show. It was very weird. It was just, it was Bill Murray. Can he, he, can he sing? Yeah. He can sing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he had yeah. a great voice. Wow. And really great comedic I never timing. Knew that, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, obviously, yeah. Yeah, so um, it was good. It was good. So there you go, Bill Murray. I'll have to check out that number one Bill Murray fan account. Yeah, yeah. Bill Murray Picks. Bill Murray Picks. Yeah, it's my house, mate. Hit, hit follow. Hit follow.